Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our fourth Women in 3D Printing panel at TCT 360. I'm Laura Griffiths, I am TCT Head of Content, and I'm thrilled to be joined by a great expert panel today to talk about the role of additive manufacturing in sustainability in aerospace, talking about the opportunities, the challenges from design to materials and beyond. And joining me today as co-moderator is Christina Sesma, who is the Women in 3D Printing UK Ambassador and also Marketing Communications Specialist at Curvalux. Christina, can you just introduce Women in 3D Printing to everybody? Hi there. Uh, Women in 3D Printing started a few years ago just as a, a woman on a blog, and it has grown into this massive international organization. So there are chapters around the world and there are thousands of members, and it's a very welcoming, organization that has even uh, managed to get their own conference last year. So moving forward, we are just really happy to encourage people into the industry, encourage especially women, and support women within the industry to uh, thrive. Thank you. Thanks, Christina. So our panelists today, we have Melissa Orm, Vice President of Boeing Additive Manufacturing. We have Robin Dallin, AM Technical Specialist and Consultant at ARC. We have Hoda Amel, who is Senior Research Engineer at the Manufacturing Technology Center, and Udi Woy, Technology Lead for Additive Manufacturing at the Nuclear AMRC. So thank you very much to all our panelists for taking the time to join us today. Um, so we'll get started onto the questions, and Christina, I'll let you take the first question. Okay, so first of all, I'd like to see if you can tell me what your thoughts are in how uh, AM is perceived, if you, you think it's perceived as environmentally friendly or not. I'll, I'll start. I think that there's, you know, um, both, right? So some people say that it's 100% it's green and it's a little bit uh, overarching, right? Um, but there are, there are, you know, it, it is a driver for sustainability in the sense that we, we create less waste, right? And so we, we, we do, you know, um, reduce the, the life cycle, the um, value chain on the, on the front end of the mining material and transporting the material, converting the material, right? And then we, while we make a part, we use less material doing it, and then the parts that we make are lighter. Right, and so we use less uh, fuel in the case of Boeing to, to move it, so so that we do um, have a reduced carbon footprint. You know, the challenges I think are on the machines, right? They um, they use a lot of energy, and, and you know, if we can make sure that we we get better and we have less iterations and we're able to recycle, then then uh, we'll we'll get better. But we have a ways to go. Melissa, you've covered pretty well though the kind of um, things that AM that makes it pretty uniquely equipped to address the challenges around sustainability. Anybody else got there any thoughts on how AM is uniquely equipped compared to maybe more traditional manufacturing processes to really tackle the challenges around sustainability? Um, I can give a perspective from the nuclear industry or for large applications. So generally, if you're looking at a forging or a casting at scale, you have to consider the amount of material and energy that goes through the life cycle. So if you're forging, you're dealing with very large lumps of metal, and you're not just dealing with the metal, you're dealing with the properties when you're forging, as well as casting. So that has an implication on the final properties, and then you're looking at the machining once the forging and or casting is done, unless you're using energy uh, or precision casting processes. So AM um, offers a path to sustainability because it allows the potential fabrication of these 
large and ultra-large structures in a manner that is more, um, I suppose, structurally, structurally sound and sustainable materially because you can potentially use fewer resources and you can have a hybrid approach to large-scale manufacturing where you can forge a cast apart and then you can add features you need using additive. So hybrid approaches like that, when AM is mature enough, following on from what Melissa said, we still got a lot of work to do. So the maturity of the technology would um, fuse quite well with the traditional processes because for large scale, there's still lots of inefficiencies and waste. And so we need to do something about it. And I think AM gives us a chance to do that. Thank you. I think as well, AM offers you the economies of scale that give you the opportunity. You don't have to make loads and loads of parts if you don't need loads and loads of parts. And that in itself has got to be fairly sustainable. And not to get too negative on additive manufacturing, but we know that AM has a lot of green credentials. You've just listed so many of them there, but there is a sense that there may be some greenwashing when it comes to promoting the sustainable benefits of additive manufacturing. Do you think that's something that we need to be concerned about when we are promoting the technology as a green process? I really um, hope that the machine manufacturers can can make uh, you know um, machines that less energy, basically, or that we work with our own companies so that we use alternative energies to drive them. Um, you know, it's another opportunity, but. Um, other than that, I, I really do believe that as a, a green, you know, it's a sustainability driver because we are using so much less material, and um, you know that just, that just reduces the entire carbon footprint. And, and for the case of airplanes, you know, they it will actually you know use less fuel, creating less less uh, carbon footprint. I think the Gartner hype cycle addresses some of the hype around AM and the so-called dirty secrets in additive manufacturing. So if you're looking at powder bed, for example, how much of the powder is recyclable once you've done the part, but then potentially you can use nesting as an option to optimize the build volume and make more parts. But when you're dealing with um, low volume, high value, again, on the large scale, you can use DED, which allows you to process materials more efficiently because you're only using potentially what you need and just a bit over. So in a sense, yes, there is a tendency or the temptation for whitewashing, but I think other perspective that the Gartner hype cycle brings some, um, um, it grounds us in the reality that if you're going into AM, there are things you have to look out for. Yes, there's a way to go, but we're striving to be green. That's what counts. Thank you. If I may add something, it's, um, as Melissa said, AM in general, if you look at the life cycle of the part, makes it much more um, sustainable and much greener because the use phase of the part is so much longer. Um, but the AM processes themselves and how we make materials can definitely become greener um, if we use more sustainable sources for materials, more sustainable sources for energy, um, and if we reduce the amount of waste that we actually produce by machines failings, how we build the parts, um, and how we design the parts.
so yeah, it can definitely be free. We can also really um, try to recycle not just our own powder, you know, but also the support structures and also chips from traditional manufacturing, right? There's a lot of titanium waste from large hog outs of, of traditional manufacturing. If we could take that, turn it into powder, which there's a lot of companies working to do that, um, and turning them into lightweight additive parts, it's really a nice story. Udi nailed it, talking about hype. Is, is we're, we're just, we're starting to approach a point, I think, where people are being realistic about what additive manufacturing can actually do. I think for a long time, people focused on the equipment, the equipment, the hardware is the be all and end all, here's your part, of course it's a green process, and everybody's kind of gone, well, we just won't talk about post-processing because that's not the sexy bit. But but yeah, now, now people are being more realistic about everything that comes before and after actually making a part, and I don't think we're going to be able to continue to greenwash AM for much longer because people are just getting wise to that now. This is a question for Melissa, specifically about Boeing advancements in AM. You've been talking about a few things this morning, distribution, production, a few areas. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what Boeing is up to? Yeah, well, you know, um, I've only been at Boeing for about a little over two years, and I've been really um, pleased to learn that we have factories at Boeing that are just operated on 100% sustainable fuel, which I didn't know. Um, and we have, um, you know, created like Boeing India that is, you know, has um, sustainable, you know, recycled water, um, you know, uh, it operates with uh, alternative energy. So we're doing a lot of programmatic aspects in general in the in operations of how we make things. For additive, additive, um, you know, we're, the fact that uh, it, it, it creates the lighter weight parts less waste, it's, it's you know, um, it, it is basically a, uh, um, one of our key sustainable drivers that, that we're really working to, to put onto, you know, a couple with you know electric flight things like that um, for the future that are lightweight um, urban mobility things like that for you know it's, it's really a good place where where additive works and helps you know extend range of some of these other uh, concepts. Robin, I know from your talk this morning you mentioned how a lot of the customers that you deal with within your consultancy work are from the defense uh, sector and I just wondered how does sustainability fit into those conversations that you're having with customers? The short answer is they don't <laughs> um, and that, I mean that's not entirely true so defense have been given a free pass on sustainability for a really really long time because quite rightly they've got more important things to think about but we're at a point now where you can't ignore sustainability anymore, and it is definitely something they're starting to look at. So one of the things that we're starting to branch out into is looking at carbon life cycles. So we can now, as well as providing a kind of a whole life cost for a project, provide where the carbon in that project is gonna come out. And from there, you can kind of move on to conversations about, well, actually there are multiple different ways that you could make this more sustainable. You can offset your carbon zero, your carbon if you can't, get rid of it completely or you can do things differently or this and that and the other this this is yeah it's definitely becoming a question now and uh, if we were to compare traditional conventional manufacturing with additive manufacturing in terms of energy efficiency and power consumption and if you can tell me much about that how do you 
say they compare? I think in terms of energy efficiency, it depends on the um, equipment. Obviously, with newer technology, you can have more efficient use of power by virtue of, you know, we're evolving. But also, um, if you're looking at the part itself, how long does it take to build? It's a function of time. And if we're designing better, using less material, then it means we're spending less time making stuff. And if we're spending less time, not just with the um, primary or intermediate processes, but when you come to finishing, if you're spending less time machining, then that affects the entire life cycle or production cycle in any case. So I think, um, yeah, we are addressing energy efficiency via AM. Maybe not directly, but inadvertently. And as we transition to using more, or to making more critical parts, we started to see the impact um, on a larger scale. Thank you. I don't, uh, I don't think a lot has been done um, on comparing the energy efficiency of AM with traditional manufacturing. Um, as in like for like comparison. We have started looking at it uh, at our own facility, um, but through that we've actually found out that there's not a lot of information out there, um, especially in terms of uh, energy usage in, in AM machines specifically. And AM is so diverse in the processes and in the parts that you generate, and it's very dependent on the material that you're processing and on the process that you're actually using that it makes it quite difficult to, to make a general um, kind of um, decision on which which one might be actually less energy, using it less energy and more, or more, maybe more energy efficient. But the way it's always been looked at is by how much waste is actually saving and how much material is actually saving and how much um, weight you're reducing in your end and application. So, yeah, that's... I mean, there's situations, if you want to be honest, where additive is, is horrible for the environment. I mean, if you, uh, for people who are just learning and they're making one build and it fails and they go over and over and over again and it's scrapped material. So as we get better and as we learn how to use the machines and as we nest parts and we're building many parts on one build plate and we make it right the first time, um, you know, it's a good design, um, then, then we get much better. So it's, it, it is hard to compare um, because you, you take the situation where there's someone who knows what they're doing and they're nesting the parts, um, or, you know, or they're with a service bureau that has many parts for many customers even, um, and that, that compares much more favorably to, you know, a, a group that's learning and, and going through four, five, six iterations um, using that high energy resource machine, you know, to, to get to that solution. I think that emphasizes the um, amount of investment in research and development of AM because that's the learning curve and that's the sort of knowledge that the community re needs to help them on the journey to minimize um, the trial and error and the learning phase. I think that would be more beneficial all around. But yeah, it wouldn't be fair to compare traditional and AM, we're not mature enough. I think as you've just said, there are so many considerations that we need to make along that end-to-end -end life cycle, but 
more life cycle analysis is taking place. I know the Additive Manufacturer Green Trade Association has just um, started some uh, first papers and, and research projects based on that. But I just wonder from your points of view, are there any parts of that end-to-end -end life cycle, I know Robin mentioned post-processing before, that you think we're neglecting and maybe need to be paying more attention to when it comes to sustainability? I was looking at something um, as part of the HVMC embodied carbon in manufacturing. And so even with traditional processes, you have a lot of um, emissions. So that's another element that we need to be looking at from a sustainability point of view, not just the single instance of AM, but the entire you know, life cycle of the product. And if we're doing comparisons, it'll be interesting to see how the traditional compares with the new because with traditional sometimes you can have equipment or things that have been used for a very long time so how energy efficient are they and how sustainable are they when you compare it to much newer technologies as an analogy using an old laptop versus a new laptop an old mobile phone versus a new mobile phone what is going to be much quicker and do things quicker so that's sort of what we aspire to i think there's also a um something about, as I said, when you look at AM, um, when you do life cycle analysis, um, it, it's the, the additive process is the only process that actually allows you, as Melissa said, to nest so many parts in, in one build that can be different, that allows you to do different build volume, their build uh, thicknesses, different wall thicknesses, different size of parts. So it's really, um, I think the design part of it is probably something that needs to be taken into account. So how you actually design for a, for a part um, to allow less energy to be um, spent on, on making it and also not letting it fail because the build failure is one of the most wasteful um, things that happen in AM. <laughs> Another aspect to look at, however, is the, the part that you make and um, its life. And um, oftentimes we've found that an additively manufactured part is more durable and has a longer life and you'll you know, not have to replace it as often, not have to repair it. Um, and this is often true for brazed um, you know, replacements, you know, traditionally brazed or additively manufactured monolithic parts or you know, um, you know, bolted assemblies, things like that, or welded components. Uh, we found that the additively manufactured parts are more durable and longer life, and they will um, survive better in you know, um, vibration testing and things like that. And so the idea is you, you wouldn't replace them uh, as often as you would a traditional part. Hmm. Well, that, that's interesting, actually, because so this, this has been a question of ours for a long time of you know, we use AM4 to uh, kind of consolidate parts, um, but that then that makes repairing so much more difficult because if it was um, a small section of one part, you just remove it and replace it. But if it's a whole, like the GE nozzle, for example, um, you have to replace the whole nozzle. But that's a good point because you actually get less failure because of less vibration and less. Um, we have several um, several examples of different traditionally manufactured parts that fail, um, you know, vibe testing, and the additively manufactured parts that are monolithic, um, they, they are beautiful. They survive 
clever. I mean, in, in the testing, right? I mean, it's a really, really difficult loads and, and accelerations and uh, the, the torturous things we do to them where the traditional parts um, break, essentially. episode is sponsored by Evolve Additive. I spoke to Director of Business Development, James Grimm, about the unique STEP technology. STEP technology has just hit the commercial market and it is something completely different. So what it stands for is Selective Thermoplastic Electrophotographic Process. What this really is, is a, uh, a three-step process. Think of like industrial, uh, high volume 2D printing. And so what we've done is adapted that existing technology that's really proven and reliable from a great manufacturer, Kodak. And so we leverage their 2D printing and we create toners out of polymers, right? So thermoplastics. And once we've tonerized the thermoplastics, we can then use that printing technology and image thermoplastics in a similar way that, that they were imaging ink toners onto paper, right? Through a really high-tech 3D printing process, uh, we can align those plastic images on top of one another. They get fused together under heat and pressure, which is very similar to what's going on in, in an injection molding machine. And so the net result is uh, very, very high resolution, very, very high detail, and a surface quality that is very similar to injection molding. And so what this allows us to do is really kind of poke into where injection molding currently has been uh, fulfilling manufacturing and with parts. And we, we are able to do this now with additive manufacturing and, and cut into what we kind of call our, our, our five pillars uh, of where our company stands on, right? And we want to deliver additive manufacturing that meets customers' needs for cost, a wide variety of materials, so real thermoplastic materials. We need to deliver parts that are of utmost quality, so it's very you know identical or better than injection molding quality, and at a speed to meet high throughput. And we want it to be scalable, right? Our technology can grow and it's versatile. It really kind of breaks away from maybe a lot of the limitations of, of traditional injection molding. As we look towards AM for production, there's a lot of interest around the idea of the factory of the future. What's Evolve's take on how AM fits into that vision? The factory of the future is something that we really live and breathe every day at Evolve, right? Uh, automated unloading and loading of our parts is built right into the machine. So no, no more trying to create some sort of crazy robotic arm integration. It's pretty straightforward with ours. And so we've designed the machine to work in, in a factory setting right from the ground up. We've already built what we call Evolve factory software. And this allows you to really tap into all the data that is collected during the build process of our machine and leverage that for things like you know, ERP systems or MES systems and really sort of integrate this machine in an automated fashion into your own uh, production scheduling, ordering, fulfillment, it's really designed right from right out of the gate to be play very friendly with all of these 
fantastic automation tools and AI tools and big data tools that are coming our way. And another trend that we're really seeing right now is conversations around the role of additive manufacturing on supply chain. Where does Evolve fit into that conversation? Product producers are looking at how do they manufacture closer to the point of purchase. So you can start doing things like part rev control at a central headquarters and you know you can print parts at high volume and high mix at specific sites around the world. And so rather than calling up your contract manufacturer, having them pull a, pull a tool off of a shelf and prep it for molding, this is just send the data to your SVP machine that's sitting at your, at your manufacturing facility and pressing print. For more information, visit evolveadditive.com. Impact of the sign at the back. I don't know if you want to tell me more about how critical it is for uh, the design and sustainability. Yeah, I mean, and, and so that's a really good question and a really good point, right? Because we, I mean, it, there's many facets of, of designing for AM and designing for sustainability, right? So we want to make sure that the design is good for AM, right? And that it uses the least amount of support structures that are removed and sacrificed and wasteful, that it will build first time, you know, we know what we're doing there. And so in the, the fabrication aspect of it, um, we're, we're not wasteful. And then in the operation of the part, right, it's performance. We want to make sure that it has improved durability, that it's lightweight. So we're not, uh, you know, in case of Boeing, everything we do, we, we fly through the air, right? So we're not, um, you know, using as much fuel um, to propel it, right? So there's the, the, the manufacturing aspect and then the performance aspect. Um, and, and that design is, is really important, you know, that, that we design for both, you know, to, uh, to be better than something that can be fabricated and operate traditionally. I think with design for additive manufacturing, it has been a very useful approach to ensure that the parts are properly designed to be manufactured using AM. But we also want to design for maintainability because even if the structures last long, there's the sustainability element and we want to avoid greenwashing. So we want to make sure these parts are maintainable but design only goes so far because as Melissa said, you still have to perform or the parts have to perform under different conditions. So it's in the making of the parts, hence the properties and the R&D going behind the development of the process that has the, I think, most significant impact on your design output. So that's where a lot of the attention is being focused at the moment. And so I know that we know here that AM is not actually that much of a young industry. It's been around for 30 years, but it's still considered a young industry compared to more traditional manufacturing processes. In that regard, do you think that we've perhaps got a better chance at tapping sustainability because we are fairly new and can, can sort of embed those thought processes and those kind of considerations into the things that we do early on rather than getting stuck in the ways we've always done things? We, we, in the in the design phase, most definitely, we can we can design for you know reduced waste in terms of support structures, you know that building the part, and and we can design systems where we can recycle powder easily, and we can design specifications where we can use recycled powder 
right? And and we might, you know, um, have have uh, you know greater systems where we can recycle scrap into powder to be used. So so I, I think I think we do have that advantage of just uh, if we can compare it, I'm always comparing it to a traditional hog out where you have a block of material you just take away and make a bunch of chips, right? Um, and, and so we, we, are, we do have advantages definitely over, over traditional and, and we, we could incorporate a lot more, right? We have a ways to go, but, but it, there's a possibility there. Um, yes, we do have an opportunity. There's a cottage industry around additive manufacturing and it's taken off because we have the equipment that allows people to print. And at some point it was imagined everybody would have a printer in their houses and would do a lot of stuff. So that has preempted a lot of things around, you know, um, how we maximize the opportunities offered by AM in a way that allows us to maintain the sustainability and other advantages. So maybe 30 years old, but it's only re-emerging now again because it seems viable. And then the vision around everybody having a 3D printer hasn't been realized because only few people, the, the hardcore enthusiasts, have printers in their houses. And there's a reason for that because when you get into it, you realize a lot more imagination and thought goes into this process than just pushing a button and printing things. So we do have an opportunity, but at the same time, we need to keep up with what else is happening around so that doesn't overtake the tangible progress and the foundations on which the future AM will be built. I think additive manufacturing's got a huge opportunity because the, the rate the rate at which technology is progressing is just getting faster and faster and faster. You look at the kind of the explosion in the number of machines that have become available, the different processes, this, that, that, that kind of thing. So I think I think as these new technologies come forward, they're gonna encourage the older companies, invested commerce, to, to kind of think more about stuff. I think there's there's definitely potential, I think, for this to become almost a competition in many ways. It's actually how do we how do we get companies to say, well, my green credentials are better than yours and that's why you should buy my machine. Um, and it isn't quite possible it'll happen quite organically if that is what people who buy machines really want. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I'm glad you pointed on that because I have not seen to date companies advertising that my machine uses less, you know, produces less know uh, carbon footprint uh, and it's really up to the user to control their design to control their you know whole value stream um, so that they can be greener where the machines themselves are something that we're given and we deal with right um, and, and it would be nice if the machine manufacturers um, you know started to consider a little more you know the energy efficiency of their machines also the material manufacturers. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of the, the conversation earlier, I think, was geared towards polymers. You know, uh, I, it, where I was mostly talking about metals, but the polymers, yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, work that, that can be done there in terms of uh, um, the, the type of material that they are. So this is a question for Yudian Hoda. You have a panel this afternoon. 
how much of uh, of how important the sustainability in, in this uh, is something that people really want, you know, is, is a real driver for for AM? Um, I think at least across HBMC for um, for the research work that we're doing, sustainability is one of the main drivers at the moment. Um, so net zero and sustainability are definitely uh, one of the things that we are pushing um, in our research, um, starting to look at more sustainable materials, more sustainable processes, um, and how we can make the whole process chain uh, more sustainable as well. Um, there's, there's definitely the desire in people as well, um, but they still need, as like all my other panelists said, they need to push the manufacturers Manufacturers are gonna hate us for saying this, <laughs> but they need, yeah, the users need to push the manufacturers, they need to ask for greener processes and materials because unless we do that, that's not gonna happen. And there's only so much that the user can do without being able to have a greener machine or a greener material. So, um, again, from a large scale AM perspective, sustainability is very important because the material yield is generally much lower and there's um there are a lot of implications for that but also the structures that are required to last years 40 years 60 years you want power plants in oil and gas you want an installation to last as long as you need it to last so sustainability is not a an option if you would say it's a necessity and applications like repair and remanufacturing are very interesting because can AM potentially be used or deployed, which is something always promoted about AM, it can be deployed, you can use it in multiple locations. So for these longer lasting structures, what AM can potentially offer is an opportunity to extend a durable or service lives and potentially reduce downtime during operation. These are the elements I've been exploring recently around sustainability within HVMC, and particularly for large-scale structures because we want them to last. Why not? I, I love the uh, it's a necessity. Sustainability is a necessity. I love that. So throughout these research projects, and I guess this is again for Hoda and Udi. I, I mean. Is sustainability being tackled a lot at that research level then and how does that translate back into actual industry when it's come from a research project? So um, generally by engaging more with industrial partners. So a lot of the projects that I've uh, mentioned will usually have at least one or two industrial partners who are driving the requirements perspective and making every effort to ensure that the applications, even if we're doing it at a research level, these applications are relevant to them. So we're saying if you have scrap material, bring it to us, let's see how we can remanufacture it because there's a reason you scrapped it, but the material is still sustainable. So it's either going to go into recycling or we can try and you know, recover that for you. And having worked in subcontract manufacturing before, you spend a lot of time reworking. So from that perspective, AM can help with the reworking process. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I think the government initiatives and all the 
talks about sustainability are actually um, really making people aware of the, its importance and also its necessity and also um, how much it actually and, and, and making them come forward with that request. So we have a lot of our members actually coming to us um, asking for um, projects on making their manufacturing grids more sustainable, um, looking at how sustainable their whole process chain is, and not just with additive, with any process really. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's really talking about it and then making people aware that this is an option, they can actually have access to it and they can, um, they, they, they can actually benefit from it. Because at the end of the day, the industry wants profit. <laughs> and um, you need to show them that they can actually profit. And if you can show them that they can actually um, have less failures, they can have less waste, they can use less materials, um, they can use less energy, then why not use it? Um, as Hoda mentioned, you know, the government perspective, Take a car, for example, or your mobile phone. Nobody goes out to buy a car and says, you know, I'm going to plan for repair, you know, because it's going to go. You don't know what's going to happen. You just buy it. So with companies who are buying oil platforms, it's a business. They run it as a business. But governments also buy infrastructure. They don't think it's going to go, you know, maybe 10, 20 years down the line because the political cycle is only, what, four or five years? Somebody else takes over. So you might buy it, you might plan for it, but somebody else has to look after it. So the track, um, the cost of sustainability from a repair maintenance perspective isn't really tracked. How do you track it? In the private sector, there's downward pressure once um, a system is out of service to get it back online very quickly. So again, it's very difficult to track because the supply chain is under pressure to deliver. You know, get it out quick, quick, quick. The government's the same thing. We're looking at the fuel crisis. We're talking about rolling in the military support, get fuels into stations. Nobody's tracking that cost. After the fact, we can look at it, we can you know, talk about it, but that's probably buried in some report that nobody's gonna read. So in real time, nobody's tracking it, but this is where additive and sustainability can actually help us start looking forward, start planning, start being more aware of the true implications of these structures. And you'd asked earlier about the advantages where we could, you know, exploit AM. I think that's one of them. Thank you. So, if we want to sell something that's sustainable, apart, what criteria would you say you should follow? I, I would say that it, 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 there's a, in producing it and in an operation, it's a smaller um, carbon footprint than the traditional counterpart. So there's a reduction, you know, in uh, um, carbon footprint, you know, in the production and in the operation. I think we could do a lot worse than transparency. If you, um, if you look at the construction industry, so the construction industry is very much driven by government targets that they have to meet these deadlines. Well, we don't have that that kind of kick to go to it. But I think increasingly you, you look at companies that want to be seen as sustainable, companies that are kind of building their whole brand on that, and they are talking about what they're doing. They're saying, for everything you buy from us, we'll plant a tree. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're saying, we know exactly how much carbon is coming out of our product and we're offsetting it 
or we are persevering in this way and and I think I think yeah I think AM I think all of us really like manufacturers users alike need to start saying this is the effort that we're putting in to be sustainable yeah, for for you know the aircraft industry, there are regulations that you know by a certain time we have certain reductions, and we are working toward that. And at Boeing, sustainability is you know has become very recently one of our key priorities, and it's um, something that that we all know you know throughout the company. And everything that you know, new projects, new everything, really needs to show. And um, that that there's a um, sustainability aspect to it that we've done better, you know. And and it's not only because you know there are regulations. It's you know sounds you know cliche, but it is the right thing to do, yeah. you know, for that for that reason. So from a business point of view as well, I think viability is a high top priority. Because if AM processes are viable, you start seeing them used more in critical applications, and then we can have this discussion around sustainability. At the minute, we're still on the adoption journey, so um, yeah, more effort to make the process viable, and then once it's viable, we can build sustainability on viability. Thank you. So last question then to all of our panelists. Are there any final thoughts you have on what steps the AM sector can take to bolster its green potentials. I know we've mentioned, you know, uh, pushing it back to the machine manufacturers and thinking about different parts of the end-to-end the, uh, the -end life cycle. So any particular things you think the industry can be doing more of? Well, I think in, in uh, my industry, what we could be doing more of is really, um, you know, education, really, you know, training engineers to, to think about sustainability and, and, and think about additive manufacturing um, to, to think, you know, and that requires a cultural shift, you know, that AM is a viable manufacturing tool and uh, that can allow you to use much less material um, and, uh, you know, make more durable parts. But we have to do our homework first to show that it's, it's viable, it's repeatable, reliable, you know, and um, uh, I, I think that that will you know, cause them flexion, basically. So it's, for me, it, it would be education. I think I'd go back to, firstly, transparency. I think we need to be more obvious about what our priorities are and how we're, how we're gonna go about fulfilling that. So from an RTO point of view, I think uh, what we can do is um, definitely educating people um, on sustainability, um, definitely being frank, transparent with them uh, on what AM can offer and where they need to steer away from it, um, and also researching um, where you can have um, more sustainable processes, more sustainable materials, uh, where you can actually have better performance parts. Um, from similar materials um, that can actually um, improve your uh, use phase of your part and uh, it wouldn't um, result in failures and uh, yeah so uh, it's it's definitely better better performing parts um, would, would do a good job. I think optimizing the different um, processes 
an increasing emphasis on the application of the technology rather than the process itself. Because if you're looking at the machine, the machine does one thing. If you're looking at the process, you're looking at one thing. But if you're looking at the application, you can start to optimize in a manner that's more sustainable around material. So when you're talking about using material more efficiently, but for what? You know, where does it apply? So if we emphasize more the applications of AM and how we can optimize those applications, I think the technology would sell itself sustainably.